Welcome back. My name is Justin Bullock, and here uh, one more time out of six total times, we are. I'm talking with a few students who have done some work on how to improve decision making within public service. They're all Bush School students of government and public service. These things are very important to them, and they made the mis I mean, they had the opportunity of taking a class <laughs> with me this semester, and have learned all kinds of fascinating things that they would like to share with you. But before we do that, I'd like to give the group members an opportunity to introduce themselves, and then we're going to jump right into the project they've been working on. Hi, my name is Emily Hall. I'm Audrey Tappy. Howdy, Will Horton. I'm Faith Dingus. And I'm Kyle Asbell. All right, we've got a nice group with us today. Um, well, how do you want to start this? Give me an overview or an introduction to how you tackle this project. So basically what we did is we looked just quite simply at how do you improve the decision-making process for public servants. And we did this for two main reasons. One being we are all studying public service. Um, we hope to have these jobs someday. And the other being that public servants have um, incredibly important positions where the decisions they make can greatly harm or greatly benefit people directly. It's very easy to find the connection between the two. And so it's kind of um, a responsibility they have to to find the best ways to make decisions. And uh, the way to do that, that we found, is by looking at the decision-making process itself. And so we did that through um, Kahneman's uh, System 1 and System 2, which Faith and I will talk about a little more in depth in a minute. Um, but basically, everybody from the guy at your office that you wonder how he got dressed this morning, all the way up to <laughs> Albert Einstein and beyond, we all share very similar decision-making processes mm -hmm. and so these have their benefits and they have their flaws and it's important to be aware of these and how how they affect the decisions we come to and so um, you can look at an improving system too and you can manage heuristics and biases which some of the group members will also talk about and how those are common things that can be um, fixed and be aware of and how you can avoid these harmful problem-solving processes and so by first looking at system one uh, system one is, it's quick, it's automatic, it's the things we think of immediately when we hear something. So like two plus two equals four, or as an Aggie now for two years, burnt orange is gross. You just <laughs> automatically realize these things, and you have little or no control over that. And that's not necessarily always a bad thing. Um, it can also be good, but it's just, it's important to note that um, they make assumptions. So like association and priming are two key examples where for example, if I say the, the name Donald, you could think of Donald Duck or Donald Trump, and you'll either take a trip down memory lane of old cartoons, or you'll think of the chaos that is the current U.S. Uh, policy system. And that's two completely different paths you can go down from one word that you don't even control how you think about it. And it's important to think of for a, for a public servant, because there are times when it is helpful, but there are also times when it can cause problems. Um, system one is error prone, so it's like having a complex calculus problem on the board and saying a random number that you think of in your head. You could get it right, <laughs> but it's not very likely unless you happen to see this problem over and over. And that is where it can actually be helpful for system one, because as you are trained to become familiar with situations, this automatic reaction that is quick and where you've seen these things, it can be helpful. But the most important thing for a public servant for system one is to recognize that it is helpful sometimes, but also you need to um, think about your system too and get into that more. And I'll let uh, Faith talk about system two. Excellent, thank you, sir. All right. <clears throat> so building off what 
Kyle said, System 2 is definitely more analytical, it's reasonable, and it's more calculated. And it's going to be utilized whenever System 1 is experiencing any type of disruption in its observations. Uh, it's lazy most of the time, and it's largely built off of impressions and intuitions based off of System 1. And because System 2 is responsible for personal behavior and self-control, it is what makes you who you are. Um, and so one of our ways of improving System 2 is to work with System 1 and just managing the types of biases that we have. Um, and in order to do that, one big thing that we talked about was obviously slowing down whenever you're making decisions, but also being aware of the amount of attention that you are giving to the problems that you're trying to solve. Because you have problems such as ego depletion and cognitive load, uh, your system too is gonna make you worry and you're gonna be tired and arguably you'll make just as bad of a decision as if you weren't being super analytical. So definitely being uh, more conscientious of the amount of attention that you're giving towards particular projects. And this is one of the big takeaways that Conlon gives us in the book, right, and that multiple of the groups have talked about is a lot of this, and, you know, to Conlon's point, some of these things there's not really easy solutions for, right? We're all, these are how our brains work. We're all kind of victims of these different heuristics and biases and having limited ego, uh, limited ability to uh, be cognitively engaged in system two. And just being aware of that leads to some other observations, right? Like be careful making big decisions when you're tired, right? Be careful sending that frustrated email at 5.30 when you've been at work for 10 hours, right? Being, being aware of these things and knowing when to be very deliberate about engaging your system to rational planning process is a big piece of the puzzle, just recognizing those, deci those decision uh, contexts. And to your point, Kyle, you know, um, you can learn in repeated, uh, in repeated situations with feedback, you can learn to be a, a bit of an expert, right? And so trying to apply that framework to pick, noticing when decisions are hard for you also becomes its own skill, right? Recognizing the context and a situation where you need to engage your system to or where you need to just have some rest and give your, uh, your mind an opportunity to build up some of its fuel that it, that it operates on. Very good. Thank you. Um, so another thing that we looked at was how public servants can improve their decision-making by managing heuristics and biases um, in an effort to make objective and partial decisions. So Kahneman defines heuristics as like shortcuts of intuitive thinking and people rely on these frequently to process information. Um, heuristics also lead to biases that are like systematic errors. Mm -hmm. um, and heuristics and biases are very much a system one process and sometimes system two isn't even aware that this is occurring. Um, and so that kind of makes it difficult to control which biases or heuristics some, like you hold. Um, so the best way really for public servants to prevent heuristics and biases is through identifying situations where it's off, like likely to occur and oh, I stole your talking point. I'm so sorry. That's okay. <laughs> um, and attempting to like circumvent like occurrences and making those bad decisions mm -hmm. and just being aware of that, especially in high stakes situations. Um, so we can discover some of the heuristics and biases, the biases that are likely to affect public servants. One of those is framing effects. Um, so this is kind of when different ways of presenting information are, um, or there's different ways of presenting the same information and it's gonna evoke different um, emotions. 
So whether it's framed positively or negatively, there's studies that show like if you frame something positively, that's going to change the result of a decision versus negative um, decisions. I think someone kind of talked about that with numbers. If it's phrased in a loss type of mindset, like it's you're losing something as opposed to gaining something, people are risk averse. Um, and so it's very important that they, that public servants are aware of the system one thinking favoring one framing effect over another and so that they're mindful of it. Um, they could also use in-group bias, which is when you identify with a group, um, and so you view people who are not with, like who are not in your group, as an out-group, and um, this can lead to things such as like racism, sexism, or ableism, um, which can be really important when making policy to be aware of if you are in an in-group, of being aware of the out-group's views and opinions and experiences, um, also with just political parties, being aware that your in-group is gonna be more of your political party and so be mindful of that when making deci decisions because it, if not, it can hinder like bipartisan collaboration. Um, and then we also discussed the um, availability heuristics. So availability heuristics are, um, they occur when individuals remember events that are easily recallable because they're salient, dramatic, or personal. Um, kind of an example of this is the current situation with the border. Um, obviously, there are people who come across and might commit crimes, but this is something that gets reported on a lot with the media, especially. And so um, the significance of these occurrences, or the, the amount of times these actually occur, can be inflated. Um, and it's also something that's going to stand out, because if a horrific crime is committed and it's talked about a lot on media, it's going to be something that people will recall very easily. Um, and so a lot of studies have found that immigrants largely commit crimes at lower rates than the local born population. However, if those are what you easily recall, that's gonna affect your policy making decisions and beliefs held on that subject. Um, and availability bias can also cause people to overestimate their contribution. Um, and this contributes to the spotlight effect, which is when people tend to believe that um, more people take note of their actions and appearance than is actually the case. So obviously people pay attention to politicians, but if they're overestimating their contribution to certain things, it's important to be mindful of that. Mm -hmm. um, and so both the spotlight effect and the overestimation of contribution can cause public servants to develop over-exaggerated or misguided um, beliefs and views of their own contributions. Um, and then lastly, we talked about errors in attribution. Um, so this is kind of what happens when your system one is wanting to assign attributions to something and it can wrongly assign those sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, a very common one is the fundamental attribution error, which is to kind of um, believe that another individual's behavior um, is a result of their character as opposed to the situation. So it fails to consider situational um, factors um, this has been seen with federal laws and judges that consider that don't consider situational influences on conduct when they're making decisions, um, and it's also been discussed for like federal securities laws um, that neglect internal or external situational influences on organizations. So like what the organization's framework is like and how people who might commit a crime 
within an organization, they're not necessarily considering the situational factors that are influencing it, maybe from bosses or something like that. Um, and so those can definitely influence um, policymaker and public servants' decision-making process. There's a whole, whole list of them, right? And you guys, you highlight a few here that are that are really um, that are really important and that have important consequences. So very nice. Thank you. Yes. So following managing here six and biases, we tried to identify about four um, problem-solving processes that can be harmful for a public servant when making decisions. Um, the halo effect, has, as many groups have discussed, is one that um, kept popping up whenever I was reading through Kahneman and do, through different examples. And the halo effect is defined as the tendency to like or dislike everything about a person, including things you have not even observed. So this could be, this is your system one, you thinking and attempts to create a simple world around you. Um, there are many examples of how the halo effects can, you know, impact our decision making. So it's really important to be mindful of how those can be really, can be negative. There was a study in Arkansas that um, authors, they had a, a picture of a woman and they had descriptions, negative descriptions of her, a positive description of her, or no description. And they found that there was a correlation between they think that this woman was attractive if there was a good review or they didn't think she was attractive if there was a bad review. So it's really quick to, those the uh, people in the study were quick to make these like irrational decisions about like, well, okay, if she's got a negative review, she's not attractive anymore um, even though that's probably not the case um, and then there was another um, another group discussed the interviewing process and one uh, research project that I found was there was a leader who was trying to fill a position and he came across a candidate who graduated from the same academic program so the leader automatically reviewed this candidate at a higher level because okay, they came from the same program, they're gonna perform great because I'm, I'm here and I'm great and this is a great program and everything's great. So this person would do an <laughs> awesome job. Um, so I just think it's really important that public servants, they illuminate the errors that a halo effect, a deployed halo effect can have um, when we're all trying to make a simple world around us. The planning fallacy is another one that we discussed, and that is defined as a set of plans that are unrealistically close to best-case scenarios and can be improved by consulting the statistics of similar cases. And this can occur from overly optimistic expectations from a decision made and a lack of foresight about potential outcomes. So an example in Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, discusses an incident in 1997 the Scottish Parliament building was budgeted to cost 40 million pounds, and that's it. And then after multiple iterations and change of budget, it ended up being 431 million pounds. And so that is a gross error in uh, planning, and stakeholders and people had to pay for it. So it has a huge impact on, on the people, as Kyle mentioned at the beginning. Um, the decisions that we make are very important. I have this problem every semester as we've laughed at me in the semester, which is coming to making a syllabus every semester. Yeah. Every semester I'm like, yeah, we can get through all of these yeah. things each week. We'll all be on our <laughs> A game every week. No pauses. And then by week five, it's like, oh, nope, not going to mm -hmm. get there this week. Right? Mm -hmm. And it's and I, in teaching this very class on 
cognitive biases and heuristics, right? Mm -hmm. I do the same thing again this semester, right? As you've seen, we try to get as much in here as possible, and it's a very optimistic view yeah. of all the things we might be able to get to. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the in the research, one of there was a um, a recommendation as to how to mitigate the planning fallacy, and it's called reference class forecasting. And this is what they say is a method that may improve upon the accuracy of predictions when you're in the planning process. And really it's about finding a comparable project if you're working on a project um, that can serve as a guide. Um, it's generating a probability distribution of comparable proje projects. Um, that's collecting statistics, gathering evidence and on identif identified projects, getting timelines, expenditures, um, and then also comparing current project with a baseline prediction uh, from a reference class for more accurate forecasts. So this is something that is used worldwide, this, this um, recommendation, this reference class forecasting, and is a way of just improving decisions um, in order to best avoid those harmful effects from a planning problem. And then we'll, we'll go sure. on to talk more. Another way in which we mitigate the idea of risk through limited binary decisions involves going back to what Audrey had been talking about with framing, particularly when we think about this idea of broader framing and the implementation of what Kahneman refers to as risk policy. I was reminded a few years ago of the A&M Systems decision to decide whether or not they wanted to implement this idea of a tuition freeze across the system, leave that up to each university that was being discussed at the legislature at the time as well. And the idea that kind of got implemented was, well, if we freeze tuition, that's kind of a risky move for us because we're not gonna be able to raise it again later without you know having all our stakeholders getting really mad. And for a while they were stuck in this binary of a really narrow framing mindset that you either freeze or don't freeze tuition. But at some point, some much more educated individuals came along and said, hey guys, if we broaden up the scope of our issue and we don't freeze tuition at a particular point, but instead we say each new cohort has a guaranteed four-year tuition rate and then we could increase tuition from year to year, we've frozen tuition per cohort, but we're still able to incrementally increase tuition as new cohorts come in, and that allows us to continue to maintain some type of positive revenue growth. Interesting. And so I thought that example was um, kind of a really good way to think about sort of a broader framing and taking a slower approach and maybe trying a more nuanced solution to a problem that wouldn't have necessarily been attempted had you only been using a system one thought process there. Yeah. And the narrow framing there, you get something akin to like tunnel vision, right? You're like, right. oh, this is the, these are only choices. I can't see anything else outside my blinders. And then part of this is stepping back to your point and saying, well, what are our actual choices here? Maybe it's not just A or B. Maybe we have some other choices. And I think to go in line with that, we also think about Kahneman's ideas of the remembering and experiencing selves. Mm -hmm. And I think both of those are very important when we think about policy, public servants, who our decision makers are, because if we're talking about, say, an issue such as transportation, would you rather have a transportation bill that benefits those who are the experiencing self, so maybe you're not spending as much time in rush hour congestion, but then by the time you get home, you know, if you hit a couple of potholes right before you pull into your driveway, maybe your overall memory of it is going to be very negative and you're not gonna think it's good policy. But if your experience is bad, but then right at the end, you have a great memory of this overall commute that you have, 
you remember it well and so you're thinking, yeah, that's effective transportation policy. Mm -hmm. And so I think that what we saw is that decision makers have to be aware of how their constituents and stakeholders are going to perceive policy, whether they experience it well and then remember it poorly or if they experience it so-so but have a really great memory of it and so they think they're getting really good policy. Yeah, so just to, uh, to highlight this, because I don't think any of the other groups have spoken on this, you know, the Kahneman talks about system one and system two as these kind of uh, metaphors for how your brain works. And he also talks about the experiencing self and the remembering self and how part of you in the moment is uh, experiencing things as they're happening. And then part of you reflects back on things that have happened and recalls those things, right? And what we know from psychology and from neuroscience is that the experiencing self doesn't, isn't always a good recorder or isn't always a good reporter on what they actually experience. And your memory is biased in some really systematic ways. And one of the most uh, well-documented that uh, Will was alluding to is this peak end rule. And the idea is that when you look back on experiences, the things you remember from an experience are the most intense part of it and the very end of it. And so, you know, in thinking about how should we allocate transportation dollars, if you minimized overall traffic on the way home so that the person actually gets home quicker overall, but you don't address those potholes at the end right before they get home and they hit don't 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 three potholes in a row, what they actually remember is okay, traffic was about the same, maybe it was a little better, but man, there's potholes everywhere, right? Because the only thing you recall from your drive home is the peak intensity of how traffic was and the 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 potholes at the end of it and so this puts your puts them in competition of should you decrease overall traffic or should you decrease the intensity of congestion or should you focus on the last five miles before people's homes so that they're not hitting roadblock uh, roadblocks <laughs> so that they're not hitting potholes before they get home right good examples and I think in conclusion, we turned a little bit more to some broader literature in academia and really saw three different areas there that could help decision makers sort of expand how they're making their decisions beyond the framing that Kahneman provides. So we found some literature on evidence-based practices, which I believe was mentioned earlier by another group, but this is looking more at quantitative information, experimental research findings, and being able to adequately measure policy or program impacts. So really digging down into data that provides a more um, statistics-based approach, as Kahneman would say. There was another group who'd been studying some Canadian organizations and coined this term strategic performance measures, and they classify SPMs as, quote, integration of long-term strategy and operational goals, presence of multi-perspective indicators, inclusion of cost-effect linkages, and presence of a sequence of goals, targets, action, plans, end quote. And so this idea that we have a um, much more formal thinking structure and that our process would actually be broken down into several subsections as opposed to just one general section. There is this caveat, um, as you had mentioned earlier, about there not being any easy solutions that when we think about decision-making in public service, um, in reality, it's not as easy as we ever make it out to be. And some of the literature did talk about how there's a multidimensionality to this. We have a very long-term orientation, so it might be easy to make our decisions in the heat of the moment. If we're thinking about the Texas legislature, right, we can make a decision that only gets us through this biennium, but are we making decisions that realize impacts five bienniums down the road? 
And so that really has a, um, a much more nuanced approach that I don't know that we're ever able to account for even at our peak of utilizing system two thinking. Yeah, I like the inclusion there of a couple of different processes or frameworks to consider when trying to engage in good decisions. Because Kahneman does a really good job, I think, of highlighting the situations that we do poorly in, and he's really negative on human decision-making, as you may have picked up. But not all experts agree with him. Um, there are lots of types of situations that your intuition does do well, that we've talked a little bit about, you know, repeated decisions, decisions that have immediate feedback. But we also need to have room for a variety of different types of uh, strategies for improving them. Kahneman highlights on some more, but there's certainly some others out there in the literature. So I'm glad that you went out there and found a few more examples. Hey, great job. Nice Thank work. You. Thank you. All right, hopefully you get to do it again sometime soon. Thanks again. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>